was, I would like to examine this morning how those fit into your Christian experience, how they fit into my Christian experience. What should we take from those? Instead of just looking at those as some old story that's meant to encourage and uplift, what are we supposed to take from that to go and do with our lives? How does that fit into how am I supposed to live? So we are going to be looking into, uh, we've got four chairs up on the platform, and we are looking into a program called Four Chairs. This was put together by a man named Dan Spader, and he is a much smarter pastor than I am, and, and he put this together. And uh, this is something that the pastor and I, we have, we've been reading on, we have been studying on, we have looked at this, and we really liked this Four Chairs, not because it's catchy and not because it's simple, but it is simple, and that appealed to the two of us. But we liked it because it is biblically grounded. There's a lot of great church stuff out there, a lot of catchy acronyms and catchy sayings and, and really cool programs you can, you can implement in your church. And, and, and we tend to, we look at some of that stuff, and, and it just it doesn't catch our heart. It just doesn't impress us. But something that's rooted in the gospel, that impresses us. That kind of gets our attention. Because our feeling is, if they could build a church out of the book of Acts, then that's about what we need to, to minister to a church. We don't need a lot, of, a lot of catchy stuff, a lot of flashy stuff. So this is, this is rooted in scripture, even though we've got the four chairs up there. And before the morning's done, I'm going to move through each of the four chairs and, and help us figure out which chair you sit in this morning. Where, where do you fit in God's action point? For your for your life, so so we are we're going to dig into that this morning. But before that, I want to want to share a little bit about what this means to me and kind of where I found myself as as I moved through this. I was raised. A lot of you guys know this. I was raised as a Catholic, and when I say raised as a Catholic, I don't mean that my 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 folks and family that went to Catholic church once in a while. I mean, I was raised as a Catholic. I'll bet I did not miss Sunday morning Mass from the time I was born, probably, probably from the time I was conceived, until my 18th birthday. I'll bet I didn't miss any more than three times. And, and I might be rounding that up. I don't ever remember missing church once. So it's possible that I did. But, but if I did, it would have been because I was deathly ill. Uh, I had one of those fathers that... You're, you're going to church, and, and if you're sick, you better be bleeding or throwing up in order to in order to stay home. So I, I went to church every single week, and we heard all the time how much God loved us, but we also heard about our sin and how troubling our sin was to God. Now, I think a good church ought to preach about sin. So I'm not standing in front of you telling you that when a pastor mentions sin, he's wrong. We ought to contemplate our sin. When I was raised, just kind of being hit over the head with how serious my sin was. And, and, and each of the big benchmarks in my life, I was baptized as a baby, and I have no, no memory of that at all. Uh, but when I, was, when I was about eight years old, I made my first confession, which in the, the Catholic faith is a really big deal. A few months after that, I made my first communion, which is an even bigger deal. Um, I was confirmed when I was about 15 years old, which, which means you become an adult in, in the Catholic faith. By that time, I was just kind of going through the motions. Um, I certainly wasn't an adult in the faith. I was, I was even more childish at that point in my life than I had been earlier. But in each step of the way, because I was always confronted with my sin and told how big my sin was, and that my sin was between me and God, I, I had this, this very cold picture of who God was. Now, have you ever seen the scales of justice and, and, and how they kind of they balance each other? I had this picture in my head of, of dying and standing in front of God, and he's holding these scales. And on one side, he's going to pile my good deeds and all the nice things I did and all the right things I did. And then on the other side, he's going to start piling up my sin. And then we're going to see which side weighs more, and that's going to determine whether I get to go into heaven or whether I spend eternity in hell. And I figured out as, as a young man that even if I went to confession once a week, I couldn't keep up with all my sin because I sinned every day. 
by the time I was I was by the time I was a teenager, my thought life alone was going to knock those scales over and out of the floor. I couldn't keep up with the amount of sin in my life. I chased sin. The, the, there were times that I didn't sin, but I wanted to. I was chasing it. I just didn't have the opportunity to sin. My life was all about self-gratification and selfishness. And, and that's what I wanted. And I sat in church and I kept hearing about how God is going to judge me according to my sin. And I kind of made my mind up that, you know what, there's no way I'm ever going to balance this. There's no way that I can ever make this right. There's no way that I can undo what I have already done. So I just decided faith-wise that I was just going to give up. If God exists, there's no way that I can meet his standard. So I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to enjoy my time here until I stand in front of him. And I wasn't even that convinced that there was a God that there was to stand in front of at the end of the journey. So I just kind of figured I'm just going to put it on cruise control and enjoy my life. Now, I still continue to go to church every Sunday because that was my dad's standard. But I went and I would just sit and I would go through the motions and just kind of be zoned out. And I decided that's what I would do until I was, was old enough to be out of my dad's house and not have to do that anymore. When I was 18, I came up with what I thought was a great plan. And I went and I sat with my father, and I explained to him how grown up and mature I was and how smart I was. And, and I had this great, great idea that I should be able to pick my own church because I'm 18 years old and I'm mature, and I know everything there is to know. And my dad said, well, you know what, you, you, you're, you're kind of mature. You're not, the, you're not the worst example of somebody I ever saw. You can, you can make good choices when you put your mind to it. I think you wondered why I didn't put my mind to it a little bit more often. But, but he knew that there was the ability to make a good choice in there. So he said, okay, I agree. You are 18. You can pick your own church. I was really excited because I already had my church plan picked out. Now, I don't know. There was a chain of restaurants up in Ohio. I don't know if they were anywhere else. Have you ever heard of a chain of restaurants called Country Kitchen? It was like a Waffle House or, a, or an IHOP. It was kind of a 24-hour place, specialized in breakfast, but they served other stuff. Well, that was my church. On Sunday mornings, I was going to get in the car, and I was going to go to the country kitchen, and I was going to have some bacon, and I was going to have some waffles. I was going to read the Sunday paper. I was going to hang out for about an hour or so. And then after a little bit of time, I'd get in the car, and I would go home, and, and my parents would think I had gone to church, and I'd had a really good breakfast. I figured everybody was going to win. So I was really excited about this. And then my dad said on one condition, every Sunday you're going to bring me a church bulletin with that day's date on it from wherever it is that you went. Well, that really kind of ruined my plan because as many times I've been in the country kitchen, I never saw a stack of church bulletins in there for people that were hiding from God to, to take home. So I, was, I just kind of resigned myself. Well, I guess I'll just keep going to church with my family then because... I can't go to the country kitchen. There's not really any point in, in even trying this. But then that week at school, this was the Lord working in my life. Although at the time, I couldn't see it. I wouldn't have denied it. But I know for a fact right now that this was. There was a girl that sat in front of me alphabetically in most of my classes. And we weren't really friends, but we were friendly. We'd always got along. And, and she was a cheerleader, and I thought she was beautiful. And I had asked her out several times, and she had said no several times. But she remained friendly with me, and she, she invited me to church several times. Well, that week, we were talking about something else. We were talking about church, but she had said, she, had, she extended an invitation to come to church with her and her family on a Sunday morning. And I figured, you know, if i got to kill an hour sitting in church, sitting next to a cheerleader is a better deal than sitting next to my old man. So I was going to church here. That's as good a deal as going to church as I can find. So I went to church with her on a Sunday morning. And when we were there, I'm going to remember forever that Sunday. I couldn't tell you the date, but it was, it was in the, the spring of 1992. And I went with her, and I sat next to her, and a man named, named Dr. David Walls was preaching. He was the pastor of the church, and he preached on grace. And one of the things that he said in that message was, there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you anymore. There's nothing you can do that will cause God to love you any less. 
And to an 18-year-old kid who had grown up with this, this vision of this cold and distant God with these scales in his hand, that just, that, that thought just grabbed my heart. And, and I couldn't escape it. I was captivated. I was hypnotized by the things he was saying. I was so, I, I was more engrossed in that sermon than I'd ever been engrossed in anything before. And I just couldn't get past this idea that God loves me so much that I can't undo that. And he loves me so much, I can't earn more of it. And it just, it just, just grabbed onto me. And when church was done, she invited me to, to come down to church hallway with her and go to Sunday school. So I went into the, the teen Sunday school class, where the youth pastor, who was a really old man of about 25 or 26, <laughs> but I thought, I thought, I thought he was, I thought he was old. But he was preaching, and he was preaching about. He taught, and, and in, his, in his teaching time, he referenced a movie that was a couple of years old at that point, a movie called Weekend at Burns. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's not worth seeking out and watching, trust me. But, but I, really, I really enjoyed that movie as an unsaved teenager. Well, so the youth pastor was talking about that movie, and he talked about how he had watched that movie with friends, and he had laughed during it. And I said, well, this guy's all right. He likes the movie that I find kind of funny. And he's kind of a cool bastard because that's not really a Christian movie. And then he began to talk about how that movie troubled his heart. And about how it glorified some ungodly things. And about how it caused him to really struggle with the kind of entertainment he was allowing in his life. And, and instead of, of sitting there and feeling like this was some sort of a, of a bait and switch, his words really began to impact me. And, and I began to sit there and think, entertainment I'm consuming, is that, is that affecting my life? Like what he's talking about? Is it possible that the way I view the world is being warped by the garbage that I put into my mind? And, and these, were, these were thoughts I had never had before. I'm, I'm certainly not claiming that I was a deep teenager. But these things really grabbed me. And, and they got under my skin in a way I was back at church that Wednesday night, back in youth group. I was back at church on Sunday morning. I will be honest with you, I forgot about the cheerleader. And I was going to church to hear the preacher preach. I was going to youth group to spend time with the youth pastor. Somewhere along the line, a youth pastor got me a Bible because he found out I didn't have one. And, and I began to underline things that he would preach on and things that would be preached on the church. And I began to highlight those things. Fast forward several months. I graduated from high school. I had no real firm plan for my life other than I wanted a bunch of money and I wanted to have a bunch of fun. I was working at Super Kmart. And, and my job was I was a cart boy. I was pushing carts in out of the parking lot. That was my job title, cart boy. Pushing carts in out of the parking lot all day long. Not a bad job as far as summer jobs go. Well, I was doing that, and I was out one day with my friends. We were at the county fair, and there was a, a church group there. I couldn't tell you from, from what church or what denomination or what they were doing, but they were passing out Bible tracts. Remember those, those old Bible tracts? And, and I got one of those that had kind of that little cartoon story in there with John 3.16 and Romans Road. I took that, that Bible tract to be polite. They were passing on. I don't want to anybody's feelings. Shoved it in my pocket and just kept going on with my friends. Well, then that night, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to bed, and I'm, I'm cleaning out my pockets, and I pulled this Bible tract out, and I, I just kind of glanced through it. And then I remember sitting on the floor of my bedroom and just like reading through it, cover to cover. And I remember thinking, this sounds way too good to be true. I can be promised to spend eternity in heaven just because of, of these verses. And I remember what, the, what the, the youth pastor had told me, that you can't just grab a verse and use that. You need to look at it in the context that it came from. So I opened my Bible, and I'm trying to figure out which John was the Gospel of John instead of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. I, was, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I would find my way around the Bible. And I'm, I'm, I'm digging through and I'm looking at these, these, these verses and I'm, I'm pouring through this again and again and again. And I'm, I'm just kind of stuck on this, this 
this sounds too good to be true. And I couldn't find anything in scripture that was telling me, yeah, that's too good to be true. It doesn't work that way. But I was convinced that I got to be misunderstanding this because I've been misunderstanding stuff my whole life. This must be another one. So I, I grabbed the phone and I called the youth pastor at home. Now this was, this was a Friday night at nearly 10 o'clock at night. And this has given me an unending amount of sympathy for when my phone rings at 10 o'clock at night from a teenager because I was that teenager who called this guy at home at 10 o'clock at night. And, and he just happened to be up. And he said, you know, what are you doing? I said, well, I'd like to get together. Not necessarily tonight. I know it's, it's probably kind of late. But I'd like to get together. I've got a lot of questions. And I started talking to him about that. And, and, and he had his mom and dad were coming in to visit. And they had just landed at the airport and were picking up their rental car. And were coming over to his house. And they'd been at airports all day. And one of the flights had been delayed. And he said, well, my mom and dad haven't eaten yet. So I'm getting ready to throw some, some hot dogs on the grill. Why don't you come over and we'll grill some dogs and we can sit out on the back porch and we can talk. Now, food has always been one of my love languages. <laughs> you want to get me out of the house at 10 o'clock at night? Invite me over to grill. So I said, I'm on my way. And, and I went over to his house and it was pouring rain. And it was, it was August 14, 1992. I'm, I'm sitting out on the back porch with him. His mom and dad have gotten there. They're in the house. They're getting kind of settled in. We grilled hot dogs. He took some of the food in. He and I sat out on the porch and, and we're eating hot dogs and we're talking. And I'm, I, I brought my Bible and we're digging through these scriptures together. And suddenly it just all made sense. Not just intellectually, but spiritually got down on my knees with my feet sticking out into the rain. By now it was after midnight. August 15th, 1992, I gave my life to the Lord. And I became a believer. Amen. I was, I was excited about it too. And you know what? I, I still am because I can see God's hand in my life even back when I was unsaved. And I can see God setting those pieces together and, and aligning those pieces. I could vividly hear God remind me of when I called the youth pastor at 10 o'clock at night and he dropped everything in order to spend time with me. That has impacted my ministry because my instinct at 10 o'clock at night is let that phone go to voicemail. And I don't do that because he didn't do that for me. So on that rainy night, I gave my life to the Lord. Now we are looking at and these four chairs, and what we've got here is in this first chair, this represents seekers, people that are not believers, people that are open to hearing about God, but they're not born again. They've not yet accepted Christ. I spent 18 years of my life sitting in this chair. Now, the, the action point to this is those the scriptures we read out of John where he says, Come and see. Because that's largely what people that are in this spot in their life, they need somebody to say, come and see. Somebody invite me to church. Come and see what Jesus is all about. They need a youth pastor who's going to say, come and see. Come check this out. They need a pastor who's going to preach truth to them, but invite them to check out what Jesus is all about. I have got, I think Ben's got this. I think Shannon gave it to him. I've got a song that I want to share with you. That this song is, it wasn't very old when I first heard it, but it's about 35 years old now. But this song meant the world to me. And when I was a new believer, this was a song that I just held on to and played over and over and over again. And uh, I think Ben's going to share that. It's got the, I think we've got the lyrics that'll go with that. So I'm going to let him share that and I'll be back up in just a second. Won't you be my 
the, the consequences of sin remained in my life. Consequences of choices I made before I was a believer, those consequences still existed. They didn't get wiped clean when I gave my life to Christ. And, and any new sin that I'm engaging in, there's consequences for that too. I mean, that was kind of frustrating to me. I said, I'm one of God's now. Shouldn't he be protecting me from the consequences? I, I found out really quick, prayer is not some sort of magic button that I can push, hey, God, I'm having a bad day. I need you to come fix this. Hey, God, can, can, can you make this work out for me? Hey, uh, God, can you take this away? I don't like this anymore. I don't want this. I was the same guy I was before I got saved, and I had the same struggles. I had the same sort of things going on in my life. Again, I wasn't really tuned in to feeling the Holy Spirit make these moves. But I can promise you that one of the things that prompted me to enlist in the army was I needed to get away from the people that I was spending time with. Because the people that I was surrounding myself with were not people that were dragging <coughs> me towards Jesus. They were dragging me the other way. And, and God was working in that. I, I, I discovered in the army, and again, this is God had his hand in there, because most people go in the army, they don't have this experience. I went in the army and I met some men of incredible faith. I made some friends, some great Christian friends. There was a guy I met about a week after I got there. He was a few years older than me and he was married and, and he and his wife had lived in post housing and, and he and I struck up a friendship, found out we were both believers and he and his wife would take me to church with him on Sunday mornings. I would, I would go over to his house and we would sit up until one or two or three o'clock in the morning talking about scripture and talking about God and talking about how hard it was to, to be a believer in the army, how hard it was to be a believer in the barracks, which was sometimes just like a sea of sin, of tempting sin. I developed friendships with people that would, that would speak truth into my life. People that would say, you know, you're a believer, and, and I know that you want to do this God thing. And you keep talking about wanting to do this God thing. But I hear those four-letter words that roll so easily out of your mouth when you're hanging out in the barracks. Is that the way a, a godly man should talk? I had people tell me the truth about pornographic magazines, about my entertainment choices, about about using and abusing alcohol. I had people say hard things to me because as a believer, I needed to be loved by Christians. And part of love is you need to hear the truth. We need to love each other in this room. We need to tell each other the truth. Now that doesn't mean that you need to swing truth like it's a shovel and see if you can't knock a fellow believer over with. We're not called to hurt each other. We are not called to ambush each other. I'm not called to show up at your house and say, well, hey, Eric, let me tell you all about yourself and about everything that I ever thought you might do wrong. We're not called to do that. We're called to love each other. But part of love is that we are truthful with each other. And we have those hard conversations because those hard conversations, those groom me as much as time I spend in the Word and time I spend in church. Those people who loved me, who were willing to put an arm around my shoulders and say, this thing you're doing, this, this doesn't work. This doesn't line up with honoring God. When we pray for someone who is a new believer, one of the things that we need to remember to do is to pray for the circle of people that are surrounding them. Because they're going to find out really quick. A lot of you have experienced this. I've seen this so many times as a preacher. Somebody gives their life to the Lord and, and they have this this naive moment, just like I did, where I think, hey, I belong to God now. Everything's great. And then I start to realize that sin is still there. Those consequences are still there. I'm still drawn to the same sort of mistakes I've been drawn to my whole life. We need to pray for the circle of people surrounding them. Because often that circle is one of the things that is, that is influencing them. 
Because when somebody comes to know Christ, their circle needs to change. That means they need to get away from those folks, or they need to evangelize those folks so that all of those folks become born again, and, and they can all encourage each other. And it is really hard for us to take somebody who's been a believer for two weeks and expect them to evangelize their circle of friends. They don't have those tools yet. They don't have that ability. They're still trying to figure out which John is which John in the New Testament. They're still asking those, those deep questions about how come there's four Gospels instead of just two. We need to help them. Our responsibility is not to share the Gospel with lost people. It is to share the Gospel with lost people and then love them. They are like a baby or a toddler or a child or even a teenager. As they grow and as they get a little bit more independent and a little bit more able to think for themselves. Anybody in this room remember being a teenager? Anybody in this room, can you look back and think how foolish you were as a teenager? You didn't think that as a teenager though, did you? You thought you had a handle on all of it. But you look back now and you think, I, I didn't know any of it. New believers need our help and they need our guidance. Part of, part of growing from a believer to a disciple is you make that transition from, from toddler and child and teenager, you make that transition into being a young adult. You still need guidance. If you're sitting in this room and you think you've got a handle on this Christian thing and you don't need any help, you're wrong. We all need guidance continually. But, but they, 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 they age a little bit. And one of the things that happened, I was talking to James about this, about, about how we were raised, and both of us had parents that thought it was a good idea for us to do chores when we were kids, to prepare us for adulthood. We had parents that thought it was a good idea if we learned how to cook, and we learned how to do laundry, and we learned how to kind of take care of ourselves a little bit. One of the things that marks a developmental change between a child and an adult is a child doesn't have the ability to feed themselves or to, to clean themselves. And as they get older, they get, they get better and better at that. By the time they're an adult, they ought to be able to feed themselves. They ought to be able to, to, to clean themselves. Well, it's the same thing in a spiritual context. A believer ought to be able to clean some stuff out of their life because they ought to have more awareness than this new believer who's still trying to figure this out who needs somebody to come next to him and say, you need, to, you need to make some changes. They get to this point, they're able to start to make their own changes. They still need that guidance and they still need, need that help. One of the things that, that marked for me, you know this, come and see is what we do with seekers. What we do with this is when Jesus said, follow me. I'm a new believer, I'm starting to follow him. I'm not getting it right, not all the time. Sometimes I'm getting it awful wrong and making a mess of it, but I'm trying to follow. But over here, you get into this third chair. Well, come and see, follow me, and make fishers of men. Follow me and do. You're not just following, you're following and you're doing. One of the, one of the biggest growth spiritual benchmarks in my life. I was out of the army a few years, I was going to college, I felt like I was called into ministry. And I was having this Sam knows this story. I told him this very recently. I was I was hosting a group of junior high guys would come to my apartment for Bible study. The church I was at, uh, they had a pretty large youth group, and in the summer they did home groups. And so they would divide into groups of about eight or ten guys or eight or ten girls, and they would go to somebody's house, go to somebody's apartment for Bible study. Where I was at, all I did was host. I just unlocked the door, let the guys come in. The youth pastor would come with the guys, and he would bring the lesson, and he would bring the teaching, and, and we would be there with these guys. Usually a mom would come, and she would drop off some cookies or some food, some sort of a snack, or we would order pizza or whatever. Well, all I was doing was hosting. That was my spiritual responsibility, hosting and paying careful attention to what the youth pastor did to see if I could learn from him. So as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my apartment ready for these guys to come every week. I, am, I, I love movies. I always have. And I have this great big movie collection. Now this is VHS because I'm that old. But I had all these VHS movies. I had about 30 or 40 movies. And I had them on the shelf in the, in the living room. 
And before all these junior high guys come over for Bible study, before the youth pastor would show up, I would go through that movie collection and I would take about half of them and I would put them down in the drawer. Because I didn't want to endorse those movies to the kids. And I don't want the youth pastor to think that one of his leaders would own these, these R-rated comedies or these, these R-rated movies with a bunch of bad language. So I had a lot of R-rated movies. And every week, the first week they came over, I put them all in the drawer, and then when Bible study was over, I took them out, put them back on the shelf. And then the next Wednesday, put them down in the drawer, the Bible study was over, put them back on the shelf. About the fourth Wednesday night, and I was taking them down and putting them in the drawer. I didn't hear an audible voice, but just like I did, God spoke in my heart, and God said, you know, you got movies that you need to hide. You got movies that you don't need to have. You've got entertainment that you don't need people to know you watch. You've got entertainment that you don't need to be watching. And that convicted me so much, I got rid of those movies. I started to become very diligent about what I would let into my life as far as entertainment. I was turning from a child into an adult, and I was kind of figuring out how to clean some stuff out of my life, how to protect my life from having some stuff show up in it. I began to, to figure out that my faith wasn't just about me and what God could do for me, but it was about what was the call that he had for me to do for others, and how could I impact other people. He wanted me to be a fisherman. He wants that for you, to be a fisher of men, a fisher of people. He wants you to make an impact in the world around you. And that means you need to be growing and cleaning some stuff out of your life. And, and I'm going to tell you, I'm 47 years old. It's a lifelong process. 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago now, when I got rid of those movies, I didn't turn some sort of corner where I was suddenly perfect. I turned a corner, and I got a little bit better. But it's a continuing process that I keep working on, that I keep doing that. Because that's a part of not just telling people about Jesus, but showing people about Jesus. I learned the ability to apologize. Not, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, but I'm sorry. That's not who I want to be. And I'm sorry I hurt you, brother. Gave me the ability to own my mistakes and not say, well, I sinned because somebody put that stuff in front of me and I couldn't help myself. I grew the ability to say, I sin because I made a sinful choice. I sin because I'm a broken person. I sin because I need God and I need Jesus. One of the, one of the shortcuts I, take, I took at this stage in my life, share free, shortcut that I took because I was still trying to hold on a little bit to, to, to be this, this newly saved young child in the faith. I got hired by a church to be a, to run their youth department. And I was so excited, I was so proud, I was, I was working in ministry, and I came up with this great thing that I thought was gonna save me some time. I no longer have to read my Bible every day for me because I'm putting together a, a sermon for the teenagers on Wednesday night and on Sunday. So the time that I spend in my Bible preparing, that counts as the time that I spend studying. I was really proud of that. I thought, man, I've got a handle on this ministry thing. This is great. In fact, I assume that's the way a lot of pastors did it. I didn't run that past any pastor I knew, which was good, because most pastors would have slapped me in the back of the head if they heard me say that. I went for five or six weeks ministering to teenagers, not in my word every day, not studying not having a consistent deep prayer life because I thought the time that I was spending working in ministry was covering that. And then one night after youth group, this young man raised his hands and he said, I need to, need to talk to you. And we went back in the corner and the kids were playing pool and hanging out and he and I go back in the corner and he says, my mom found out she's got cancer and they don't think there's anything they can do for her. My mom's dying. And I don't know what to do. And then he looked at me because he figured I had an answer. 
and I didn't. And I said, well, let's 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 pray about it. Because I thought this will, this prayer will help cover up the fact that I don't know what to say. And so he prayed. And then he was crying and couldn't pray anymore. So I took over and I started to pray. And I started to cry. And I realized how ill-equipped I was to minister in that moment. Not that I have a better answer now for somebody dying of cancer. But how, how, how badly prepared I was for that moment to be the, the man of God that he needed me to be, that he was depending on me to be, because I was cut corners and I wasn't taking feeding myself spiritually very seriously. That night, after, after he was gone, and all the rest of the kids were gone, and all the adult leaders were gone, and all the adult programming for the night was finished with, I was alone in the church. And the, the, the youth stuff and the children's ministry was all was all in the basement. And, and I went upstairs and I went into the dark sanctuary. And I laid down on the floor, down at the altar. And I just started crying. And I just said, God, I'm not going to cut that corner anymore because I can't. I have been in his word every day since then to some capacity. And I'm not standing here telling you that because I want you to be impressed that you got a pastor who reads his Bible every day. I'm standing here telling you that because I can't pastor if I don't do that. Amen. I can't be the person that God's called me to be if I don't do that. We keep talking about reading your Bible. You need to be in God's word every day because it's not just pastors that have to answer questions like, like my mom got cancer. Why does life hurt so bad? It's not just pastors that have to look at somebody who just lost their spouse. Because we've got a man in this church that just did. And many of us are, are friends with him. And you can't just look at the pastor and say, well, the, the pastor will fix it. He's got a Bible. He knows what to say. We are all called to do this, this life thing together. And you need to be feeding yourself. That is one of the, the benchmarks of a maturing Christian is you are feeding yourself. So we've gone from come and see to come follow to come follow and go do. To come and see and come follow and come follow and go do. Come follow and go do and make fruit. Not just a little bit of fruit. Not a little bit of fruit that even a new believer can create. But you are called to make disciples. You are called to speak truth into other people's lives. And you are not equipped to do that if you are not connected to God. I began to read my Bible every day. I began to take worship seriously. I used to love worship when I was a new believer. As long as it was my favorite songs they were playing. If it wasn't my favorite, man, they did some of those old hymns. I don't want to hear that old stuff. I just want to hear the new stuff. And then somewhere along the line, God broke my heart for the act of worship. And God challenged me to find him in an old hymn that wasn't my favorite kind of music, in new music that wasn't my favorite style, in that, that early 90s Christian music, which is, to be honest, some of my favorite stuff, because that's when I got saved, and that's when I was starting to figure out what this God thing was all about. And I began to take worship seriously, not just on a Sunday morning, in my life at home. We began to take prayer seriously. Not just when life got hard. God, get me out of this. God, let me spend some time with you because I love you. God, what do you want to teach me today? God, what do you want to teach me that I don't want to learn? God, how can I find some joy even though my life hurts and my heart is heavy? benchmark I've got on this, and I'm almost finished. I know this went long. We can worry about it. You can go with the, the, well, I'm not going anywhere, but I don't know about you guys. <laughs> with the benchmark I've got on this is I said for years, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, not what I want to do. said that for years. I met and I dated 
and I courted and we broke up and almost ruined the relationship. And then we got back together and I continued to court her and then I got married to this amazing Christian godly woman. And, and, and we would pray together for the direction of our ministry. We've done some amazing things. We worked in a parachurch ministry where we worked with a bunch of inner city students. We were dorm parents out of a school in Northeast Montana where it was 30 below for the entire month of January, except when it got even colder than that. Have you ever seen it where it's 55 degrees below zero? Well, that's rough. We were dorm parents out there. We've, we've done some amazing things together. And about five or six years ago, we were, we were praying for, you know, what's, what's the next thing? We feel called into church ministry. And we began praying. We said, God, we're going to do what you want us to do. And as we prayed, I prayed this out loud many times. I said, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, except Florida, because it's too hot in Florida. <laughs> we'll go anywhere you want us to go, but we don't want to go to Florida. We sent resumes around the country. We didn't send resumes to anybody in Florida, because we didn't want to go to Florida. Because it got hot down there. Now, I don't know if you check the calendar to see what month it is. I don't know if you're aware of what state you're in right now. But it is summertime in Florida. And I'm here in ministry. God heard that prayer. I think he kind of smiled a little bit to himself. And then God moved us to Florida to be in ministry. And we said, it's not what we want. That's what God wants. And that's what we're going to do. And we have been so blessed down here. I came down here. A lot of you know this story. I came down here. I was, I was hired by another church in town. By a pastor I really liked. And, and he hired me. And we, we got along great. And then he moved on to another church. And then a, another pastor showed up. And he wasn't a bad guy. But he and I just weren't on the same page. I, I wasn't a player that he could coach. He wasn't a coach that I could play for. We just, we just saw ministry very, very differently. And, and after several months of trying to make that work, he invited me to go do something else anywhere else. He said, get out of here. And Shannon and I went home on a, on a, I got fired on a Monday. And that Monday night, we were on our knees in the living room, and, and we were praying. And we said, I don't know why God moved us down to Florida and had us buy a house. Florida, where we didn't want to go, then had us buy a house, and it was summer because I got fired in the summertime. And it's summer outside and I'm in Florida where I don't want to go. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. And I said, I'm just going to keep praising through this. And we're just going to figure out what the next step is. Because God's got this. Tuesday morning, I got a text message from a number that I didn't recognize. Two weeks before I got let go by that church, a pastor in town. Was, was looking for somebody to talk about youth ministry with. And somebody gave him my name, and he had called me and said, hey, let's, can, can we get together? Can I buy you breakfast? I want to talk about youth ministry. Well, hey, food has always been my love language still. And I said, well, I like breakfast. That sounds good. Let's do this. Tuesday morning, after I got fired, Steve Connor texts me and says, hey, are we still out for breakfast on Friday? And I called him, and I said, I need to be honest. I might not know as much about this youth ministry thing as I thought I did, because I just got fired yesterday. And he says, you know what? He says, I, I know the pain of ministry. He says, let's get together. We ain't got talking about youth ministry. Let's get together. I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. I want to spend some time with you. Well, my savings account wasn't getting any bigger. I'd just been fired. I said, hey, somebody's going to buy me breakfast. I'm going to go. I didn't really know him. I had met him one time, about a year before that. I wasn't even really sure who gave him my name and said I knew a lot about ministry. But he and I got together. We were going to meet for an hour on a Friday morning. We sat up there at the, at the breakfast place at Keystone Inn. We sat there from about 7.30 in the morning to about, it was almost 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The, the, our server actually clocked out and went home. We had to leave her her tip to pick up the next day because we sat there and we, we talked so long. And then we got together on Tuesday and we talked some more. 
In the meantime, that Friday afternoon, after I had this really encouraging breakfast with this really great pastor, two people from this church called and invited me to church here on Sunday. Two people didn't know the pastor was having breakfast with me. He didn't know they were called and invited me to church, but they just had known me around the community and found out what had happened and said, well, hey, why don't you come and check out church here with us? So I showed up here on Sunday, and he was kind of surprised to see me. He had invited me on Friday, but he was kind of surprised to see me come in on, on Sunday. Shannon was out of town. She had had a, a trip planned out of town that week, and she had offered to, to cancel it and stay home. And, and I said, you know, I can sit around the house and sulk all by myself, and you can just come back and sulk on Monday with me. You might as well go out of town and enjoy yourself. So that Sunday, I came to church here by myself. And the first thing I noticed when I came in, the pastor was in here and he wasn't wearing a suit. And I said, I like that, that speaks to my heart. <laughs> and then he got up, he was doing a sermon series where his sermon titles were pulled off old TV shows. There's a preaching about TV, but he was preaching about God's word called from some of those old titles. And, and he was, was going back to Cheers and he was using that theme song where everybody knows your name. Man, I have loved that TV show and loved that, that, that song years ago when I was an unsaved heathen. And that, that song just spoke to me that morning, that, that, that secular TV show theme just really spoke to me. And I called Shannon as I was driving home from here that, that morning. And I said, I think, I think we found where God wants us to go to church while we're looking for our next step. And it's where we're going to continue to go to church until we figure out what that next step is. And people said to me, I can't believe that your life fell apart. And you just kept smiling and showing up and, and, and serving God. Which to me was great because it gave me an opportunity to say, oh no, that's not me. Because I'd have been laying down on the floor crying and having a temper tantrum. That was God. Because God worked in my life because I drew close to him. And when I got close to him, he worked in my life to say, don't worry about this. I've got a plan. I've got this. You don't worry about the details. You just do what I told you to do. And I'll handle the details. We heard him say that to us very clearly when we were let go from that other church. And I believe we heard him say it that clearly because we were close to him and because it was completely true. So which chair are you sitting in? Are you, the, are you the seeker? You don't really have this, this Jesus thing figured out yet? I'm looking around the room. I don't think anybody here is, is, is in that chair. So which of these saved chairs are you looking at? This one's not a different color for any spiritual reason. It's a different color because we only have three of these. <laughs> so that's, that's the deep spiritual. If you're trying to figure out why this chair is red, because we only had three of these. We thought we had four of them, so... Which chair are you in? Are you, the, are you the, the new believer who is still kind of struggling to put that old person aside and to be done with that old person and who you were? Let's be honest, all of us take a seat right there sometimes, don't we? Don't we still sometimes struggle to put that old person aside? Are you, are you over here? Do you have enough people saving you? to coach you, to mentor you how to do it. Have you been able to move into this chair where you are able to go and you are able to do for God? I'm going to be honest with you. Too many people just drop anchor and stay right there. And they don't ever get over here. Because I want to serve God in this place. And, and, and I'll do a little bit of serving. I'll take the trash out on a Wednesday night. I'll show up and and I'll go in the kitchen and do some dishes. I'll, I'll refill Sam's coffee for him. <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to teach a growth group. I don't, want to, I don't want to lead anything. I don't want to take charge of anything. I just kind of want to, I just kind of want to be saved and get the perks that come with that. And look, the greatest perk in the world comes with being saved because you're going to spend eternity with Jesus. But the other perks come when you begin to put the work in to change your life. To moving from to, to move yourself from a believer to a disciple. 
somebody who's being fed and somebody who is growing and somebody who is hungry to serve. Because that puts you on the path to move from disciple to disciple maker, where you are going and you are producing fruit and you are touching the lives of people around you. I want you to write on your connection card for me this morning, which chair do you think you're in? Not because we're gonna quiz you on it, not because we're gonna, we're gonna make a list of who's in which chair. What chair are you in? Because I want to pray for you. What chair do you honestly think you're in? What chair do you think you're in? What chair do you want to be in? Pastor Mark, I'm in chair two and I'm happy there. Leave me alone. Stop asking me to read my Bible. I just want to come to church sometimes and just kind of get fed a little bit. I'm in chair two and I'm struggling. And I want to get better. How can we pray for you as, as, as we move along? We have shared this this morning. This wasn't my idea to share. The pastor and I came to this together because we really believe that a church that builds disciples is a church that is prepared for the 21st century. God blessed us incredibly during the coronavirus. When we had to do church from home, well, he blessed us with the technology to be able to do it. As much as we grumble about the technology, the ability to, to preach from the front porch was great. He blessed us a lot. But I think we need to be better prepared for all of us to be a church. And I believe discipleship is one of the ways that we are going to get there. So I'm challenging you. Write down on your connection card for me what chair you think you're in and how I can pray for you to move you to the next chair. We're going to revisit this four chairs thing. We are not done with this yet. I apologize because I went a little bit longer than I intended to this morning. But in, in my defense, Ben and I were laughing at the pastor who got up here and took a long time talking about prayer requests and, and Bible memorization. And he was gone for a couple weeks, so he had a couple weeks worth of talking to me about it on the way, I guess. Um, let, me, let me pray for us. And, and he's in here somewhere. He's gonna, I think he's going to come back up and, and grab himself. But let me pray. Lord, Lord, I pray that, that I was not in the way of myself this morning. Lord, I shared my testimony as a part of this because, because moving through these chairs was, was something I can so personally identify with. Lord, I don't want discipleship to seem like some sort of biblical concept that happened to, to, those, to those guys in the book of Acts. I don't want the idea of discipleship to, to be something that, that super spiritual pastors do. Lord, I want the church to understand that discipleship is something that we all need. We need people discipling us, and we need to be discipling each other, and we need to be growing, and we need to be moving. It's not about being a pastor. It's not about being a Bible scholar. It's about loving you and wanting to serve you. Lord, I pray that I wasn't in the way. But the, the, your heart for us to grow has been made evident in this place this morning. Lord, I pray that as we continue to look at the four chairs as a church, as we continue to, to move through discipling and, and some of the small groups that are they're starting to add and some of the groups that are already moving and doing it, Lord, I pray as, as Sam continues to, to disciple on his, his Tuesday morning Bible study as he continues to speak truth and to preach truth, Lord, I pray that you will continue to move in this place. You will continue to touch lives and impact lives. And you will continue to use all of us here to encourage and equip each other. Lord, I just pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.